This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So my, my parents gave me, I don't know, it was a, probably a couple of hundred dollars to make sure that, you know, if anything happened to me, I, I could feed myself and can find, find a roof over my head. Uh, but I saved all the money. I walked everywhere. I didn't even spend money on getting on a bus or anything. And I spent all my money in, in the uh, record shops. And I bought a uh, Jim Morrison t-shirt. I actually borrowed five pounds in London from a family friend to buy a Jim Morrison t-shirt because I had no more money, but I arrived back home with like 12 vinyl records and it was so cool. I had uh, great, great stuff with me. I didn't have a Bruce Springsteen at the time. That was, uh, that was early uh, 80s, but, uh, but I've got the other, uh, the other, other ones, uh, you know, I think I had a couple of Deep Purple. I had Doors. I was a big Doors fan at the time. I, I think I had the Led Zeppelin and Stranglers, I had some Stranglers records as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We're getting off the Bruce train a little bit today, but he is going to come up. Um, I've got Steve uh, joining me today. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Jesse. Nice to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. Well, uh, so my name is Steve Preda. Uh, you might have uh, noticed from my accent that I was not born here. Uh, I moved here with my family from Hungary in Central Europe uh, 11 years ago. I live in Richmond, Virginia, which I know is one of Bruce's favorite go-to places. When he ran out of money, he would go and give a gig in Richmond, and he, he could always uh, fill up the coffers here. Um, so that that's where I live, and I'm a business coach and an author of uh, business coaching books and stuff like that. What uh, what brought you to the U.S.? Uh, really, uh, the adventure, 
so um, you know, I was 45 years old and I felt like uh, I wanted to swim in a bigger pond and I thought it may not be too late yet. So basically got on a plane and came over here and um, I had a business in Hungary and I kind of created a, uh, an affiliate for my business. And I thought I was just going to do the same business I was running in Hungary, but it turned out to be a different story. But this is how it all started. Um, because often I will hear a story uh, when I have a guest talking about that when they were younger, they moved to the U.S. I think it's interesting that you decided to open a brand new adventure at, you know, a fairly young age. 45 is young. I'm I'm 63, so I think 45 is very young. Uh, yeah, but I think it's kind of cool that you decided to go on an adventure. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I was fortunate that my wife was all in. She's a few years younger than me, and uh, she was in for the adventure. We have four kids, and we felt like this would be the place for us to raise them, and uh, we could give them a bigger opportunity than they could find in, in Central Europe. So that's that's how we ended up here. Why Richmond? That's an interesting uh, question. So uh, several reasons, but basically I did not want to be in New York or Washington, D.C. or a big market because I felt like my business uh, would be would face too much competition there. I, I had an investment banking business. I was helping business owners to uh, prepare and sell their businesses. And I thought Virginia was the size of Hungary, roughly. And uh, and I thought, uh, you know, uh, Richmond is, is is a little smaller than Budapest, where I'm from, and I could wrap my mind around it. And I thought it, it also a historic city. And, uh, you know, it, it looks a lot like uh, it, there's a lot of blood uh, got spilled here as well as in my home uh, hometown, original hometown. So there were a lot of similarities. And, you know, the quality of life was good. It, the outdoors and close to, uh, you know, close to Washington, D.C. on the East Coast, so we could pop on a plane. So there were many, many reasons. And essentially, uh, Richmond ticked all the boxes for us. Does Richmond feel like home now? It does. It definitely does. Yeah. That's good. So um, I promise I'll get off this subject in a minute, listeners, but I'm fascinated by it. My dad was in the Army when I grew up, so we moved around a lot. And uh, when uh, I was a, um, I w- when my son was a junior in high school, I was laid off at my current job. And so we were talking about moving and he was like, oh, no, we're, we're you got to find a job in Dallas, dad. I do not want to move. So I'm curious, uh, were the, were the four children up for the adventure as well? So that's an interesting question. So we had two daughters who were in their early teens and they were against it. I and can imagine, right? All their friends, like, what are you doing, mom, dad? Yeah, exactly. So they were, especially the older one who was 13 at the time, she, uh, 12, she was 12. She was very much against it. And uh, we had two boys who were six and eight years old and they didn't mind at all. They were, they kind of uh, liked the excitement, the adventure of it. And I remember when we arrived the first day, we, we arrived in Richmond around 8 p.m., which was six hours. We were six hours ahead in, in Eastern Europe. So it would have been 2 a.m. in the morning. And I had these two little boys, six and eight years old, and they were still wide awake. 
and we went out for a hamburger in um, in uh, in Five Guys, and you know they had dinner and uh, they were really excited. They were not sleeping at all, and the all the girls and my wife they kind of were dead. They were lying on the bed and totally knocked out. And uh, the boys, no, the boys were all in from the beginning. But then the girls also, because as soon as school started, which was a couple months after we arrived, they realized that it was a great school and they had great environment. And from that point, they had did the 180 degree turn and they were all in as well. That's great. Uh, And by the way, five guys, great, excellent uh, first meal in the U.S. I think that is a great choice. I love their burgers. Uh, that's good. So uh, did you grow up in Hungary? I did. I, I was born there. I grew up there. And uh, I was fortunate that my parents um, kind of, I had a, an aunt who lived in Los Angeles when I was 10 years old. I came and spent the summer here with my own. That was a pivotal thing in my life. Uh, learned to speak English a little bit. And then when I was in my mid-teens, my dad uh, invested in sending me to England uh, for a language, to a language uh, school there. So I spent uh, six weeks in total there. And that was also very uh, critical. And and after I finished the college, I basically you know started traveling and lived in different countries all over Europe. And then I went back to Hungary and it looked like it was going to be a great place because Hungary was coming up. We were joining the European Union and NATO and, and everything was moving in a positive direction. And uh, we thought, with my wife and I thought that, wow, maybe this is the place for us. We should stay put and we're going to have a great career, great business. I stopped my business, which was going really well. And then uh, around 2010, things started to change. And uh, we saw the writing on the wall that this is not going to work out here. And um, and then we said, OK, so I'm, I'm still 45 years old. Uh, if we wait another five years, I'm going to be 50 years old. Uh, maybe that's going to be too late then. But now it's it's still in time. And if things work out in Hungary, we can always return, uh, but uh, not the other way around. So we just uh, got on the plane and came here and started a new life. When you went to the um english you talked about your parents taking you to an english course was that immersion in other words did you was that one of those um i've because i've heard the other way i've had friends talk about that um you know they'll this guy i was working with was learning spanish and so he had a six-week program they had to speak they they went to a spanish home they stayed in someone's house and that's all they spoke was spanish and he said that you know that immersion helped him to become very fluent was that the similar program absolutely so i was in an in a school called the brighton hove school of english in in brighton just outside of brighton uh on the uh on the channel on the english channel and uh, it was an amazing experience i spent all my pocket money on vinyl records so I, my parents gave me, I don't know, it was a, probably a couple of hundred dollars to make sure that, you know, if anything happened to me, I, I could feed myself and can find, find a roof over my head. Uh, but I saved all the money. I walked everywhere. I didn't even spend money on getting on a bus or anything. And I spent all my money in, in the uh, record shops. And I bought a uh, Jim Morrison T-shirt 
I actually borrowed five pounds in London from a family friend to buy a Jim Morrison t-shirt because I had no more money. But I arrived back home with like 12 vinyl records and it was so cool. I had uh, great, great stuff with me. I didn't have a Bruce Springsteen at the time. That was uh, that was early uh, 80s, but uh, but I've got the other uh, the other other ones. Uh, you know, I think I had a couple of Deep Purple. I had Doors. I was a big Doors fan at the time. I I think I had the Led Zeppelin and Stranglers. I had some Stranglers records as well. You know, Steve, I just had a couple other people on the podcast. That same story. They were from a European one from South Africa, one from Europe, talking about going to the U.S. and finding a U.S. record store and like all their spending money. They yeah. just went to, on records. Um, growing up, was it a musical household? Were in there at Hungary? Were you guys listening to a lot of music? And when did you find uh, English and American pop, rock and roll? Yeah. So, so actually, my parents were not so much into music. They were professionals, uh, doctors, and they were so busy just uh, looking after patients. And they were just not uh, very musical. Okay. Um, if they listened to music, it was morally classical. I think my dad had a 1968 Frank Sinatra uh, record that he picked up on one of his tours to Brazil as an athlete. Uh, so I was introduced to music by my schoolmates, basically. And mm-hmm. The first record, I think it was an ABBA record, but then I had a, a classmate who who had an, an older sister and she was into rock and, uh, you know, and, and, and he was into Mick Jagger, you know, Rolling Stones. And then we had a couple of guys uh, in the school who were into, um, into um, progressive rock. So I got really hooked up or hooked on, on progressive rock like Jet Total and the Yes and Genesis. Um, so that's what we what we listened to. And uh, I wasn't in, it wasn't a musical household, but I really got hooked on it and started playing the bass guitar when I was in sixth grade. And then we formed a band called Danger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we played on uh, on like uh, the school speakers. They had these these speakers, which was like a, uh, like a loudspeaker. Mm-hmm. And it was completely distorted my bass guitar, but that was all we got. And we uh, gave some small concerts in front of the class. So I was into it. Uh, and then when I got into high school, I remember third grade, junior in high school, that's when um, uh, then Born in the USA came out. And it was a huge hit. And everyone was listening to it. And it was uh, it was a totally different sound. It felt very new wavy at the time. and. Um, and it was, you know, very romantic, you know, dancing in the dark. And it was also very much this American spirit. So in 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 Eastern Europe, we, you know, most of us, we were still living behind the Iron Curtain. And we were dreaming about, you know, moving to America and make it to America. And, and the excitement of this no limit existence, which probably um, infected me. And when, when, you know, when ultimately we came here, um, that was probably a, a played a part in in our decision because I felt like, you know, Hungary was no longer a place where we could we could create this no limit existence. Uh, but you know, the U.S. was very welcoming and thought maybe we can do it here. Maybe it's still still time to do it if you stay healthy. And that's uh, I think Bruce played a little bit of a part in us coming here. 
Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash Pantheon50 and use the code Pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, <laughs> oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I love that. I'm going to get to that in a minute, but I want to hear what about the doors spoke to you? Why Jim Morris and the doors when you were younger? Why did you love them so much? So I was absolutely obsessed with the doors. I, I had all their records and I, I also all had all their pirate tapes that I picked up in, in like flea markets all over England. Yeah. When I was there. Um, 
something about the the psychedelic uh, music it really struck a chord with me um it was very it was a little bit weird but it was very very interesting so it was a little bit of an intellectual curiosity type of thing sometimes you you hear a music which you feel like it's you don't get it immediately it's kind of an exploration it's it's a journey to discover it and that's what really um, excited me about it that the more i listened to it the more nuances i noticed and the more i discovered and i just like this this journey of of discovery and and it it always spoke a little bit more to me and then when i started the you know learning the um uh, and studying the lyrics of it that was also a little bit mysterious because obviously jim morrison was you know sometimes he had these psychedelic dreams that he he uh waxed poetic about and it wasn't obvious what he was talking about and it that was also uh, very very interesting and he also had this rebellious streak and i was in my early teens and that spoke to me as well so um it was the music i liked and every album was different so again it was like every album was a new discovery a new revelation uh and how the band matured um it was uh, it was really really uh interesting i can tell that in your describing it that it was it was very significant for you during that time in your life I think I was the biggest Doors fan, probably in the whole country, and and it lasted a long time. So it was like a 10, 15 year period when I, I when I was listening to that music all the time, and and I remember in the uh, maybe it was the early two thousands, I I was walking home one day and I saw a poster, uh, still living in Hungary. I saw a poster on on a telephone pole or something, telephone box. And it it talked about a band called Riders on the Storm. It says, what the hell is this Riders on the Storm? It's a door song. Yeah. And I looked more carefully, and this was a poster for the reformed doors essentially uh performing on the Margaret Island, which is in, in Budapest. It's a small open air um stadium. It's like maybe five maximum 500 people fit in there. It's very small. And probably they were barred from using the name The Doors. Right. Um, and they used Riders on the Storm. And I think most you know, most people didn't even discover that they were in town. It was crazy. And I went to this concert and some of the local uh, rock stars were there in the audience because obviously they knew that uh, that this band was around. And I saw Ray Manzarek and Robbie Krieger and John Densmore. And they had a, a young singer who had a pretty good song, a pretty, pretty good voice. Uh, singing it was an amazing uh, uh, experience unfortunately i i didn't get the chance to see uh, the man jim morrison no no but gosh that's a great story to to see that and and i know the the 15 year old you know steve was just having joy inside when you heard that music <laughs> Yeah, and, and I felt it also gave me a feeling of being different because no one else listened to it at the time. I think yeah. I discovered it uh, probably around 78 um, sure. or, or 79. Uh, I, we had, I don't know, it was a, we had a friend and he had this record and, and basically then I started listening to it. And for several years after that, nobody listened to it. It was the, the band that only I knew. Uh, so that was also part of the the fun. Mm-hmm. 
did so let's go back to bruce you talked about and um often bruce fans uh some of them will take a snobbish attitude toward born in the usa because it was so popular but i always say that it is it was the gateway cd for a lot of people (laughs) or whether the album cassette where that got you into bruce's world and some people just stuck with born in the usa and didn't go any further but most people that was their first and they wanted to learn more about this guy um i do imagine that this is you know michael jackson Madonna, Prince, and Bruce Springsteen, the top four of the 80s, right? But Bruce had something about that iconic, you know, that the American flag, born in the USA. So talk to me a little bit. Once you started listening, what were you thinking? Um, I don't know what I uh, I was thinking. I mean, I, I, don't, I didn't know what to think. Rather, it's more accurate. So I do agree with you. It's it sounded a little bit uh, too um, too popular. It sounded a little bit too mainstream. Um, and um, initially, uh, I think the first time I heard it, I didn't I didn't even uh, like it that much. Mm-hmm. But then the the melody really uh, it was very catchy. And uh, my favorite song was "Dancing in the Dark." That really touched me. This song for some yeah. reason. And uh, probably there were some romantic reasons as well that uh, I heard the song and they were in this dancing place and there were some other memories that connected uh, to it. But uh, it really resonated. The other re- thing that resonated with me was the guitar sound. Yes. So, so this this was really um, this brass, uh, heavy, uh, metallic sound. It was not a heavy metal, obviously, but it's a metallic sound, and it was a it was a very dynamic uh, music. Um, and I felt like, uh, you know, the way the songs uh, oscillated between slower and 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 faster, and most of them were very very dynamic, and it had this uh, this spirit with a tinge of nostalgia, with a tinge of um, sadness in it, which. Obviously, as a teenager, that also resonated with me because that was part of my life as well. Uh, so I felt like here's a guy who who probably feels like me a lot of the time and who uh, who still has a lot of passion inside and a lot of energy. And this is looking for an outlet. And he, he's trying to channel this, this passion and he's sharing it with me. And I, I really felt that. Uh, I also felt this desire, this burning desire inside me, and I don't know, don't know what to do with it. I I knew that I wanted to become someone, but I didn't know how to. And and then here was this guy who actually found a way to become that someone. And I, I was uh, I was uh, listening to Born to Run, his biography that came out a couple of years ago, and I really liked that, especially the early years when he was. When, when you know, uh, welcome to uh, greetings from Ashbury Park came out, and yeah, he was starting to get his footing, and but still it was a stop and go, and uh, he was sometimes out of money, and then he would come to Richmond. Um, that I like that part as well, but I really like this um, this uh, this determination and this vision that he had that 
he will make it and he clung on to it and and I love these kind of stories where uh, you know where, where young talent how do how do they break through and what is it that helps them get over the hump um, and and Bruce definitely had that uh, thing while he was also dealing with his depression um, but a lot of talented people deal with depression it's it's maybe part of their talent is that they oscillate between this depression and this maniac period when when they are really high energy and and they they can create uh, ingenious things and then they fall into this uh, depression where where they are not able to create and and that struggle uh, that is going on is probably a lot, gives them material as well for for creating art so it was fascinating yeah i i of course being a big fan loved the biography and uh, i've had i've talked to a couple of people that are writers mm-hmm. and i've said forget being a fan for a minute talk about as a writer how do you you know rate the book and i know you've written as well he does he is a good storyteller i know that yeah. seems like duh of course he is but the reality is he he told a i think he i was impressed with the story he told and i also was impressed as you brought up the honesty about his depression and i think that is a strong message to people who, you know, depression is something that is not just magically fixed with more money or more success. There is a lot of things going into it. So yeah, I, I agree. You you mentioned in we exchanged a few emails beforehand that you have a book and you said there's actually you could tie it to Bruce. So talk about your book and and then we're gonna go back and how you got to this role. In fact, Stop. I'm going to re-ask the different question. You said you had a business in Hungary. You came to the U.S. thinking you would push on that, but you ended up going on a different journey. Tell me about that, Steve, and then we'll get to the book. Yeah, so um, uh, so as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I had the business, which was an investment banking. I helped business owners sell their businesses and that was the business I, I ran for about 10 years, a bit over 10 years. And when things were starting to start to change in Hungary and I saw that uh, selling businesses to uh, private investors is not going to be a great business in Hungary, I was looking for other markets. So um, the U.S. was an opportunity for us. We were part of an international network of independent companies and we, we thought we would come here. And then... Um, you know, after a while, um, I realized that the best thing that I, the, what I most enjoyed doing was with my clients was not necessarily the selling piece, but uh, essentially strategizing with them, figuring out how they could make this business more valuable, more viable, ultimately. And uh, and I, I started thinking about a book, and it took me a few years to actually get it out. But a couple of years ago, I, I finally, uh, when the pandemic hit, I suddenly had a lot of time on my hand. Uh, my travel stopped. I was traveling nonstop before that. And I thought, okay, so that's my chance. Now I, I have all this time on my hand. I have to do something and I'm going to write this book. So I sat down and basically in six weeks, I wrote the draft. And this book was part biographical. Um, 
and part um, business. So I told more than 100 stories about different clients I had. We were helping them sell the business. And, you know, when, when you build a business as an entrepreneur, this is an adventure. So in a way, it's a little bit like being a rock star as well, that you've got sure. some successes, some failures, and you have to kind of manage your emotions. And and sometimes you get these euphoric experiences, and sometimes you get these really depressive experiences when things are not going well. And the same thing happened in my business. So I wrote this business called Buyable. And, um, um, and you know, what connects to Bruce, I guess, is this whole uh, idea of having a vision and uh, going after it and surviving uh, the difficult periods in your life and recovering and, you know, staying in the game, essentially, to fight another day. And he, his career was a lot like that. And my career was like that as well. So I thought maybe that is that is a parallel to it. I, I totally agree. What's the name of the book? So the book is called Buyable. So it's about making a business buyable uh, so that other people want to buy it. So it's, it's yeah. uh, you, you could call it sellable, but I, I chose buyable because ultimately uh, it is about the customer. So if there is a customer who wants to buy it, then you can sell it. If there, you know, uh, that's the acid test. So that's the book. And, and I wrote a couple other books uh, since then. And uh, Basically, I, I really love the entrepreneur and my why, my personal why is I want to help entrepreneurs to achieve their ideal lives. And it's an ideal life is different for everyone. But I believe that when you own a business, uh, then you have an opportunity to use this vehicle as a, uh, use this business as a vehicle to propel you to the to your ideal life, whether it's being a business owner, being a business leader, or selling your business and becoming an artist, or uh, you know, being a family person, or being um, spending time social with your friends, or being uh, a podcast uh, host, yes. uh, whatever it is. Uh, so, so that's kind of what I'm into. I love the entrepreneur because it's essentially it's a person who goes out and try their own thing and take the risk of of doing the unknown and getting out of their comfort zone. And, you know, someone like you, I mean, you're running this podcast. That's pretty much an entrepreneurial venture. You you don't know where it's going to take you, where it's going to blow up and how you're going to keep your listeners. You have to keep uh, reinventing yourself all the time. Uh, I love that. I love people who take the chance and who trust themselves to, uh, roll with the punches and and uh you know sometimes they make the success sometimes you know the reward is the journey sometimes yeah i i'm a big believer in that and you know the i work for a company a smaller company and i was talking to our owner and he said you know i was we were just talking about and he he said well to him the only reason to own a business is to help people Mm-hmm. He said, I want to help the customer. I want to help my employees. I want them to get their goals. He says, it's easy to make money. There are a lot of ways to make money, but the only reason, and I went, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe for you, David, but, but, you know, he did say, you know, and, and he, I see that in his decisions that that is why he's doing this. 
is to provide a service to our clients, but also to help his employees move forward. And, and I think I am impressed with a business that has a vision. Um, I remember once I was at, I was here in Dallas and I was attending a meeting at the World Quarters of Mary Kay Cosmetics. And it's a beautiful building. And it is just, it is, it is, it's multiple stories. There are quotes everywhere. And, you know, the lady who started Mary Kay said the purpose of this business was to empower women, not to sell cosmetics, to empower women. And I love that. And too many times, Steve, a business's purpose is to to make their EBITDA number better the next quarter versus having more of a vision. And do you find that people who have another vision more than just that are more, do you work with them and do you feel like they're more satisfied? Listen, I'm, I'm, I think this is a very important topic. And uh, um, you know, there's a guy uh, called Peter Drucker, who was yeah. an economist and he was kind of a business guru from the 1950s and yeah. the father of, of the discipline of management. And he said that uh, the only business, uh, he, he said that the, the purpose of business is to create a customer. Um, I personally believe that a business has only uh, a justification for being if it does some kind of a social good. So it cannot be the EBITDA cannot be the purpose of the business. It's it's just a byproduct of a business. If that business provides a social good, which ultimately means helping somebody, if it helps other people, then people will pay for its services or buy its products. And if it says it's more than for its cost, then it creates a profit which allows it to grow. And that's that's great. Uh, this is how business should be done. But the first order of business is to serve someone, to help some other people. And I think it's very powerful, this idea. Uh, I am very uh, focused on it with my clients because I'm a business coach. I work with leadership teams. And one of the first things I, I tell them is that we have to figure out what is your why as a company? Why are you here? What is, uh, how are you putting a dent in the universe? And when you figure that out, then it creates so much energy in the company People get excited for working for this business. They bring more than just their uh, their arms and legs. They bring, bring their soul. And they will come up with ideas. They're going to work overtime. They're going to wreck their brains how to solve problems uh, because people are starved for being part of a big story. Uh, and, um, you know, some of the, the big uh, vice for companies, you know, Tesla, it's not about cars. Thereby is to help the world transition to sustainable energy. It's a massive idea. Or SpaceX is not about uh, getting to the moon. Uh, it's about creating an a imprint of humans on another planet. So if the Earth goes to uh, crash, then still humans can survive somewhere. It's a crazy idea, but it's a big idea. Um, I have a client whose idea is that they want to convert a million houses to net zero. So that's their, their thing, that they want to create an environmentally, uh, a house that doesn't create any burden on the environment. 
I love these these ideas. Uh, I have a client whose uh, whose why is they want to um, uh, they want to empower doctors so that they can live a non-limit existence. So doctors are are really um, in a very highly hierarchical uh, model, and they they burn out, and they want to liberate doctors. So two doctors found the company, and they have this idea. So every kind of mine, I always insist that they come up with something and it's actually a very fun process. And when they realize what they stand for, it suddenly raises uh, the stakes, it raises the energy and people get much more excited to come to work. Yeah, um, like on a personal level, I I joke, but I'm I'm serious in a lot of ways. I believe that every Bruce Springsteen fan has a story. I believe every person has a story and it's my job to get them on the podcast to share that story because I believe in sharing our stories is we're going to go, Oh, I felt that way. Or, Oh, I've never thought about it that way or seen that. And I think that is not only entertaining, but I think it can be inspiring in a lot of paces. And and so, yeah, that's the why. I think it's a great why. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I don't know if Peter Drucker said that, but someone said it, that the best way to come to a why, which is a really deep, is to ask the question why five times. Yes. For example, when you say you want to um, share the stories and then you said why, because you want to inspire people, I might ask you, why do you want to inspire people? Because I think there's too much darkness out there, and I think there's too much negativity, and I think that it's easy to dwell on what's happening poorly instead of what's happening well. I love it. And why is this important? Uh, Because I think we're bombarded every day with negative stories, and I, you know, I I'm a firm believer that. Um, one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs is Better Days, which the premise of that is life is a journey. And if you wait for something good to happen, you're going to miss it, right? Like when the kids are out of diapers, then we'll go have fun. When we get to America, then we'll enjoy versus enjoying the whole journey. And so that's why. So you essentially you're empowering people. And uh, what I love about this idea of the story, you know, the your most. So I'm reading a book about this, actually, right now, which is uh, that all the good Hollywood mo- uh, Hollywood movies they have the same script, and it's not a Hollywood thing. It's actually since Aristotle and since uh, you know uh, Homer, uh, these these all the stories are the same script. It's basically the hero or a hero's journey. Um, it's it's you've got a hero and then who is not the hero initially, but they are get thrown in a situation where they have to respond. And first they don't find their way, and eventually they find their way and they conquer and they achieve something. And I think when you share these stories, you are basically uh, telling people that you can all be heroes in your own world and you can make a difference. And I think it's very empowering. And that's a very worthwhile uh, why for this podcast. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, that's, you're making me smile and I appreciate that. 
So what's next for you, Steve? What What's next in your journey? What's another goal you want to hit? So um, that's a great question because I just spent the weekend thinking about that. And I wrote some some no, uh, notes uh, notes here. And um, I don't know if there I should <laughs> share it on the podcast because it's kind of uh, new. But, but okay. basically what I want to do, my, my why is we want to help entrepreneurs find uh, and reach their ideal life. So, so how I'm going to do this, I'm, I'm working with uh, leadership teams of, of uh, privately owned companies and I help them create great businesses and grow those businesses and, and make uh, people successful who own those businesses and work in those businesses. And, uh, and my plan is that I want to write a book every year, the next 10 years, and I want to create essentially a roadmap for people. I, I already have uh, five books, um, three of them, which are kind of thematic. And these three books, they, they tell you basically how to build this business and how to make it strategically unique. And I, I just want to work on this idea and make it uh, even more tangible and, and more practical so that people can. Uh, I believe that every business um, could potentially survive. So right now there are 1.7 million businesses in America, which are 10 to 250 employees, like small to medium-sized businesses. And the average lifespan of these businesses is only eight and a half years. And every year, 185,000 of these businesses disappear. They go out of mm -hmm. business. And I believe with good uh, good uh, coaching and good uh, concepts and good uh, roadmaps, all these businesses could survive because they could find a way to pivot to something new. If they get disrupted, they could reorganize themselves. And I did the calculation. If these 185,000 businesses would be saved, it would add 20% to the GDP of the U.S., as a one-off, and then every year the GDP growth would be four percent higher than it is now. Wow! So, so we would overtake China in no time in in growth, and um, I believe it could create a lot of jobs and a lot of people would uh, be successful. So that's kind of my um, my thing that I want to contribute to this, and I want to create tools for people um, to run their businesses better and to to make it. Uh, better and and to reach their ideal lives. I, I love that. I, I think that is a worthy goal. Um, I want to get back just for a minute and I've kept you for a while, but um, who are you listening to now in music? So obviously you went through a stage with the doors and you went through Bruce. So who are you listening to now? So the last uh, 20 years or so, uh, last uh, 30, 30 years, I've been a big jazz fan. Okay. So I, I loved jazz and in the 90s and 2000, I was very much into the hard babop era, mm -hmm. uh, which is the 1960s, um, uh, late 50s, 60s. Um, so I, I'm kind of a jazz fan still to date. I also love uh, operas. And and I also like, you know, I, I try to listen to the music my, my sons listen to, which is rap. Yes. And, and you know, I tried to get a feel for uh, what it's like to be a teenager uh, in today's age and what are the lyrics are saying and, how, you know, what, what does the uh, beat is, uh, is kind of conveying and, and, and trying to get a feel for the, um, 
for the music of of today's age not necessarily pop music but mainly you know um something like rock used to be in in our time yeah i think that's a great thing because um often you run through a period where your teenagers are not wanting to visit with you because it's part of the nature. They rebel, they go. And by meeting them where they are and trying to understand what they're passionate about gives you a connection. So well done, sir. Very done. Yeah. Um, All right. Um, If someone wants to reach you, what's the best way? So I'm on LinkedIn, Steve Preda. They're going to find me. And uh, I also have a website, stevepreda.com. So uh, I think that's a good starting point. And then okay. I have other websites, but if they if they can find me, the only thing is my surname is spelled with an E. So I'm not the fashion brand. Yes. It's Prada, it's Preda. Preda, Preda, yes. Um, this is great. I, I just have enjoyed this conversation so much. Uh, before I get you out of here, um, I got to ask you the Mary question. So... For those of you, if you're a fan of Steve's, um, any of his books, or you uh, you saw him promote this podcast, um, I end every podcast with a Mary question. And what that is, is Jay Armstrong, who is a retired English teacher, when he was teaching, he would take the song Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen, print out the lyrics, give it to his class, and they would study it as if it was a poem, similar to something like Robert Frost. And then would ask the question at the end, does Mary get in the car? So Steve, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I think there's no way Mary is not getting the car, right? I mean, uh, how can you not get in the car? I mean, the only thing, the only reservation I would have if I was Mary is that Bruce or whoever is the narrator thinks that I'm just okay. So (laughs) it's kind of a little bit demeaning, but, you know, Probably Mary is is less than okay if 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 Ruth says she's okay. Yes. So I would definitely get in the car and uh, you know and uh, get out of town and and uh, you know see what uh, what life can be with Bruce. I love it. That's a great answer. Any final thoughts, and then we'll get out of here. Well, listen, I I, I love this podcast. I've not been on a podcast like this. I, I've been on a lot of podcasts, but not on on one that centered around an artist. And I love uh, artists. Um, I think it is it's, it requires a lot of courage to you know to essentially live uh, your own uh, to to pass to tread your own journey, and that's what all artists do. They have the courage to get on it and. Uh, to uh, you know, to uh, to to brave the the elements, which can be really really tough on an artist, and I I really respect it. They take a huge risk to be their own self and not compromise. And Bruce was someone who actually made it, and uh, he's a shining light for all of us. So thank you for having me on on this podcast. Really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed meeting you. I think you've got a, a terrific mission here. And uh, you're doing a lot of good. And I'm just uh, feeling blessed to have been part of this uh, for the last 45 minutes. Well, it has been a joy for me. I've just had a blast. Please go to Steve's website. I will include the link in the show notes and check out his books and ask your question, why? Ask your 
ask yourself why and what is your purpose. And I think you'll find it a good exercise. We're going to end with, well, my soul checked out missing as I sat listening to the hours and minutes ticking away. Yeah, I'm sitting around waiting for my life to begin. Well, it's all just slipping away. I'm tired of waiting for tomorrow to come or that train to come rolling down that bend. I've got a new set of clothes, a pretty red rose, and a woman I can call my friend. These are the better days. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jesse. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.